Good morning. We are so glad you're here today. I can't think of a better way to start the new week than to be right here on Sunday morning. And we're glad that you're here. We're glad that you made the choice to be here this morning. Now look, I know the Super Bowl is tonight. And I know the temptation that's before you. I want to encourage you, please come back tonight. You can make the decision to be back. We are looking at our key verses this year, every week. Tonight we're going to be looking at Acts 2, verse 38. We'd love to have you come back and share that study together tonight. So we want to encourage you. I do want to mention very quickly that we have some cards that are made up. How many of you are trying to the best of your ability to memorize the verses? Great. We have some cards that are made up, and the cards go through today. They are on the table in the center of the foyer, and they go back to the very first week through Acts 2.38 tonight. I'd encourage you to take a copy of these cards, take them with you. You can keep them in your pocket, in your purse, whatever. Pull them out through the week. You can look at these verses, just keep them fresh in your mind. Also, as many of you know, we just concluded our month-long evangelism class. And on Tuesday night of this past week, we shared a series of three lessons that we are encouraging those of you who are trying to reach out to your friends and family members with the gospel. You can take this lesson and what we want you to do tonight, or rather really what we want you to do this week, today. Take a copy of this lesson. Go home, read through it, study it. It will help you, and it will help you to learn more about what you're going to be teaching others. Now, I would grant that this lesson series, it was really put together by Jared's dad. It is used in Jamaica. It's very thorough, but very simple. You could actually hand this to a friend. They could read through it, go through the questions. They could learn the gospel without your help. I would encourage you to help be a guide to them. But if they're not interested in sitting down, it might be they'd be willing to take it, go home and study on their own. But I want you to take a copy of this, take it home with you tonight, or today rather, study through it this week. We're going to have plenty of these made up, and if you need more, we'll be happy to share them with you. But, and I would also add this, if you go to the doctor, to the dentist office, or whatever, you know, many times they have magazines that are on the desk. Look, you could take a couple of copy the, copies of this little pamphlet, lay it with the other, lay it to the side of some of the other magazines. I promise you, somebody will pick it up, somebody will read it, somebody might take it with them. Just a thought. All right, in our study today, we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. I want to invite you to look at Mark 5, the passage that Jordan read a moment ago. Our study today is going to center around the theme, helping others to break the shackles of sin. I want to ask you a question today. Do you know anybody personally in your life who is shackled by sin? Do you know anybody who is struggling with sin in their life? Do you know anybody who for all intents and purposes is sinking in life because of sin? 
I bet you that most of us know at least one person that would meet that criterion. There are so many people that we come in contact with regularly who are struggling with the shackles of sin. Many people unknown to us, deep down in their heart of hearts, they want to be free. They may not express that verbally, but they're unhappy, discontent, dissatisfied. Their lives are a wretched mess. They want freedom. They want somebody to help them break the shackles of sin. But there are two problems. Number one, they don't know the one who has the power to free them from sin. Number two, they don't know the resource that will help them break the shackles of sin. That's where we come in. That's the beauty of the message today. We have the opportunity to help people. I'm talking about really helping people break the shackles of sin. I want to introduce you to a fellow that is spoken of by Mark in chapter 5, and I think, you know, there are a lot of passages of Scripture that speak to us personally. And there are passages that just stand out in our minds and that in many cases become not just familiar passages, go-to passages, but passages that we can relate to, passages that inspire us, encourage us, that to some extent provide us with a template to follow in life. I want to introduce you to a man who identified himself as legion to the Lord. This man is what I would call a very sad and pitiful case. A man whose life was being destroyed. A man whose life was less, far less than ideal. I want to begin by, first of all, talking about his condition. As we think about the condition that this man had in his life, I want to just be very upfront with you. It's one of the saddest, most deplorable conditions that I've ever read about. It's a sad, sad case. And so, I want to first talk about his dwelling. In one way, this guy lived in places that are common to us. But in another way, he lived in what we would identify as a very unfamiliar place. The text tells us that he lived in mountainous places. Now, we've all known people that have lived on the mountains, it might be that where you live today, your home is situated on a hill. And you can look out over your land and you can see the beauty of God's creation. This man lived in mountainous places. 
But not just mountainous places, but in what I would call morbid places. He lived among the tombs. I remember when I was in high school, actually getting ready to start my senior year. One of the ways that I made money, I cut grass. And really I, made, I could make more money cutting grass than I could working for somebody else. So I'm cutting grass one day on the main strip in the little town that I lived in. And there was a cemetery perched up on a hill behind the place that I was cutting. And so this fellow drives down from the cemetery and asked me, he said, would you be interested in cutting grass at the cemetery? I thought, well, you know what, the money's good. I'm happy to do that. But, you know, when you're young and you're somewhat scared of places like cemeteries, which I was, I didn't think much about it when I was up there cutting grass and the sun was out and it was a beautiful day, but I remember one day a storm was brewing. Let me tell you what, I was ready to get out of town. But this guy lived on the premises of the cemetery. Well, the fellow that we're reading about, that's where he lived. Listen, if you would, to what Mark says. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. When he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him, out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains. Down in verse 5, the Bible says, Always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. So in many respects, he had an unusual dwelling place, didn't he? But then there's a second thing. Mark talks about not just his dwelling place, but he provides a description of this man. It is an unusual description. Go back and look at verse 2. In verse 2 we read that this man had an unclean spirit. Down in verse 9, the Bible says that Jesus asked this man his name. He answered saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. So first of all, what you need to understand, this man was a demonic. He was demon-possessed. Now I know that there have been a lot of people in our day and time that have gotten caught up in this phenomenon of demon possession. Years ago, there was a movie that probably was the start of many more movies to follow about demon possession. The movie was called The Exorcist. And there were a lot of folks that, quite frankly, it scared. Now, there are a couple of things I want to say about demon possession. Number one, I am convinced demon possession was a phenomena exclusive to the first century. And you say, well, why was that the case? Because if you read about, if you read about the life of Jesus, Jesus, through the miracles that He performed, 
demonstrated His power in various realms of life. For example, in John chapter 2, when Jesus turned water into wine. In chapter 6, when He took five barley loaves and two small fish and fed some 5,000 people. He demonstrated His power over matter, didn't He? When Jesus healed the nobleman's son from afar, demonstrated His power over distance. When Jesus walked on water, He demonstrated His power over nature. When Jesus gave sight to the blind, He demonstrated His power over the human body and disease. When Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, He demonstrated His power over death. So when Jesus cast out demons, He demonstrated His divine power over the demonic world. Now there are a lot of folks that have asked the question, where did demons come from? And quite frankly, the Bible does not say. There have been a lot of folks that have speculated their origin. And really, the bottom line is the Bible doesn't say, so why spend time studying and thinking about it? If the Lord had wanted us to know, then obviously He would have given insight into that. I do not believe people today are possessed by demons. But I do believe that people demonstrate lives that are under the influence of the devil. They live like the devil, don't they? You remember Jesus talked about the work of the devil? He identified him in John 8 verse 44 as a murderer and a liar. So when I think about people who are caught up in a life of sin, what stands out in my mind is the fact here are people that have been deceived by the age-old adversary of man. Who is that? It's the devil. Paul, in the long ago, said, Be strong in the Lord, in the strength or power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God. Why? That you might be able to stand against the wiles, the schemes of the devil. Peter said the devil walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And Peter identified him as our adversary. The devil is on the prowl. And sadly, there are people who have been deceived by the devil. His craft is that of deception, isn't it? He is the master deceiver. And he is at work today. Now, not only was this man demonic, but the text tells us he was destructive. Listen again to what Mark has to say about him. No one could bind him, not even with chains. Down in verse 5, Always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. Doesn't that say something about the destructive nature of sin? Now we're talking about application here. Here was a man that was demon-possessed, and in some respects, he was his own worst enemy. How many people in our world today, when it's all said and done, 
are living a life of misery, and many of the problems that they face in life are, as we would say, self-inflicted. There are a lot of people that have turned the gun on themselves. Their life is one of destruction. When I think about the danger associated with living in sin, I think about the fact that as Mark said here, here was a man who was living a destructive life. You look at people today who are bound by sin, and Jesus talked about being bound in sin in John chapter 8. Jesus said that those who are the servants of sin, those who are living in sin, they are the slaves, the bondservants of sin. They're bound by it. And their lives are characterized in a very sad way. So, here's a guy who is destructive. Tell me people who are not consuming their lives in alcohol and drugs are not destroying themselves. Tell me that there aren't people in our world who because of greed or covetousness are not destroying and drowning themselves in spiritual misery. Didn't Solomon say, he that loves silver will not be satisfied with silver? The deceit of the, de the devil says that you can gain everything you need right here on planet earth. And Jesus said, not so. Jesus asked, what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Not only is sin destructive, but I would add this, it is demeaning. When you live in sin, you live beneath God's ideal. Do you remember the story in Luke 15? The prodigal, the prodigal son. The Bible tells us he went out into that far country and wasted his substance on riotous living. And the Bible says, when he had spent all, this guy is destitute. Jesus said in His narration, no man gave to him. He didn't have anything. Lost everything. Are there not people in our world today who because they have chosen to live in sin are living lives of destruction and really it is demeaning to them. Jesus is God's ideal of man. And so, when we live in sin, we are living beneath the ideal set forth in Scripture. That prodigal in the long ago, he was out feeding with the swine for a Jew to live in a pig pen? You talk about demeaning and degrading? Listen, that's what sin does to people, doesn't it? Now, the second thing I want you to see in our study. First, we talk about the condition of this man. But then, secondly, his cure. When I think about his cure, first, there was a confrontation with Jesus. Pick up with me if you would, beginning in verse 6. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. Mark here tells us that this man with unclean spirits did what? He praised the Lord, didn't he? Mark said, 
He worshipped Him. Was Jesus deity in the first century? Yes, He was. Is He deity today? Yes, He is. And one of the earmarks of deity is worship. That they are beings worthy of worship. Jesus was worthy of worship. But not only do we read of His praise for Jesus, but the Bible says He pled with Jesus. Note if you would. This man in verse 7 cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you, I adjure you by God, that you do not torment me. For he said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. Then he asked him, What is your name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. He begged him earnestly that he would not send him out of that country. A large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. And all the demons begged him, saying, Send us to the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000, and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. This man pled with the Lord Jesus to be free. Now I asked the question a moment ago, do you know people in our world today who are shackled by sin? Many of those people want to be free, don't they? And didn't Jesus say, if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed? So I think about his confrontation. Let me tell you what. This man had a confrontation with Jesus. That confrontation led to what I would call a transformation. When we come face to face with Jesus and we submit to Him, it always brings about a transformation, does it not? Now, look at his past. When you look at the past of this man, what stands out to you? There are three things that stand out to me. Number one, here was a man who was hurting. Number two, here was a man who was not only hurting, but he was helpless. And number three, he was hopeless. Is that not an apt description of sin? That it leaves people helpless, hopeless, and hurting? This guy, his life is one of misery. Go back again and look at what it said. In verse 4, the Bible says, He was bound with shackles and chains. And the chains had been pulled apart by Him. The shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame Him. Always night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. Here was a guy, his life, I mean, what a sad, what a sad picture. Here's a guy that's, he's helpless, he's hopeless, he's hurt. Do you know anybody like that? It might be you're here today and that's that's where you are right now. You feel hopeless. You feel helpless. And you are hurting down to the very depths of your soul. But now, 
Let's flip the coin. On the one hand, you have his past, but then Mark tells us about this transformation, and he provides us with a glimpse into the present. Pick up with me if you could, or if you would, beginning in verse 14. Now those who fed the swine fled, and they told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that had happened. Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. What a transformation. This guy has been cured. He's clothed. And he's coherent. Now I think there's a lesson for us right here. And the lesson is, when we come face to face with Jesus, it's no longer about our past. It's about the present, isn't it? Look at your life. Is your life different today than what it was when you lived in sin? Was it not the case that through your confrontation with Jesus in the gospel, that it brought about a transformation? Look at, look at Saul of Tarsus. Do you remember Paul said he had been a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man? He said, I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Ah, but he said, the grace of God. He said it was exceeding exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. The difference. And didn't Paul write in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and say, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Look at the lives of those who lived in Corinth. When they obeyed the gospel, was there not a transformation Look at your own life. Look at the life of Saul of Tarsus. Was there not a, was there not a, transfer, a transformation of character? Yes. This guy was transformed. And again, in Jesus Christ, it's not what you were, it's what you are. It's not about your past, it's about the present. The Lord Jesus has the ability to change your life. Now, having said that, there's a third thing I want you to see in our study. We think about the condition of this man and then his cure. This man was cured by the Lord Jesus Christ. But thirdly, we read about the commission. The Lord commissioned this man. So, note if you would, First of all, the immensity of his blessings. Now, his life characterized by destructiveness, it was a dead-end life. And that's, that's an apt picture of sin. It always leads to destruction. It always ends badly. 
And yet, when you think about the immensity of His blessings, the source of those blessings was Jesus, wasn't it? I want you to listen to His request. The Bible says, the people pled with Him to depart from their region. That is Jesus. And when He got into the boat, He who had been demon-possessed begged Him that He might be with Him. I can understand why this man wanted to be with Jesus. I mean, here's a guy whose life was that of incredible misery. Here's a man who has a burden the size of many mountains. And now he's been blessed. Now you think about how blessed you are as a child of God. Have you been blessed? Has God blessed your life? Would you say He has immensely blessed your life? He has, hasn't He? I mean, you think about what Jesus has done for you in this life. Would there be any way that you could repay Him for all that He's done for you? I don't think we could, could we? I don't think there's any way that we could ever say thank you enough to the Lord Jesus for what He has done in our lives. The change has been that radical. And the blessings that we enjoy are so superior. As a matter of fact, if you're in Christ, you are blessed above the rest. You really are. You might not know it, but you are. You are rich in Christ. Paul talks about the exceeding riches of His grace and kindness. And you're blessed. I'm blessed. So I think about His request to the Lord, but then note if you would, His reply by the Lord. Listen to what Jesus said to him. Now, Mark said, Jesus did not permit him. In other words, this man wanted to stay with Jesus. He wanted to stay with him, be around him. And Jesus said, no, I don't want you to stay with me, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how He has had compassion on you. Now let me just pause there and ask this question. When you look at your life right now and you think about the immensity of the blessings that you enjoy in Christ Jesus and how blessed you are, you have been pardoned by sin, you have peace with God, you have His presence in your life day and night, you have the privilege of prayer, you have the promise of heaven, you have been so blessed. Could Jesus not say to you, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back home and I want you to tell your friends what great things the Lord has done for you and how He has had compassion on you. In other words, I want you to tell other people how blessed you've been. Every blessing you enjoy comes from whom? Comes from the Lord, doesn't it? Do we not have something to share with other people, yes or no? I can't hear you. We do, don't we? So if we have something to share with other people, the question is, are we? Are we sharing 
what we have, what we've been blessed with, with other people. I could not begin to put into human words how blessed my life has been. Could you? I could empty the, the English vocabulary and I still could not sum up how blessed I've been. And that, that's true for you. So, the immensity of His blessings. But then there's a second thing. And that is, immediately, He became a broadcaster for Jesus. Note if you would what is said in verse 20. He departed and began to proclaim and decapolis all that Jesus had done for him. First, the message that he preached. We have the gospel, don't we? Would you say we have the greatest message known to man? Yes or no? Yes, we do. Have we been blessed above the rest? Yes, we have. We are so rich in Christ, aren't we? Do we have a message that is worth proclaiming? Yes or no? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. We have a message that's worth proclaiming. This man did. Now, what was the result? Look at verse 20, the latter part. And all marveled. What did the people do when they heard what this man was saying? They marveled. We have something to share with people. And it really goes back to understanding where we are and where the world is. And recognizing that just like this guy, there are people who are bound by the shackles of sin. They're living in misery and they are hurting. And we have the answer, don't we? We've got the answer. We've got an adequate message that can meet every need. Here's what I want to do today. I want to encourage all of us, and I begin with myself, I want all of us to recognize how blessed we are, and then let's be the Lord's mouth, His feet, His hands. Let's be out sharing the blessings that we have enjoyed up until now. As Jesus said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back home and I want you to tell your friends what great things the Lord has done for you and how He's had compassion on you. There's not a one of us here today that can't say we've been blessed. What we need to do is take our blessings and share them with others. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, let me tell you what, this is your golden hour. This hour may never come again for you. You may never have another opportunity to walk away from a life of sin, but you have that opportunity today, right now. Do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? Would you be willing to repent of sin as they did on Pentecost Day in Acts 2.38? Would you be willing to confess with your mouth what you believe in your heart, that Jesus is the Son of God, and then be immersed in water so that all your sins can be washed away? Acts 22.16 Let God put you in the church and then be faithful until death. And one day, 
One day, God will give you that crown of life. If you're here today, let's just say you've gone back to sin. And your life is bound once again by sin. You want to be free. Jesus said, you shall know the truth. The truth shall make you free. The Lord has the answer, doesn't He? He got the liberating message. If you want to be free today, won't you come as we stand and sing?